All right, so I cannot start this without telling you all how much you each inspire me each week. You all have a million other things you could be doing, and yet each week you come here. It takes so much courage to walk through those doors, and maybe your parents make you, uh, but they don't make you worship the way that you do or engage with us old folks during family group the way you do. And that is all you, my friends. The way that you smile and laugh and encourage each other really renews my spirit. And I want you to know that I see you and I'm so inspired. So I apologize if as I'm greeting you out there, I forget or misspell your name. Maddie, I think this is the first week that I remembered Maddie and I wasn't out there to greet. And Martin and Nathan, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. Someday I will know who is who, someday. Um, but don't doubt for a second that I am so very glad to see you and that you are here. I know when I watch people stand up here and share their stories or teaching, I put them on a pedestal and sometimes convince myself how well they have everything figured out. I hate to give away the ending of my story right off the bat, but I need you to know that today, as I stand up here, uh, oops, I absolutely do not have this life figured out. I don't have answers to lots of my biggest questions, and some of my, life, um, my life's biggest pains still really hurt. I have had to learn over and over and over that my identity is in Jesus and not in the things that I do or accomplish, and I'm not foolish enough to think that I won't have to learn that lesson um, many more times before I die. So, um, I was born... Katie Joe O'Connor to Bill and Joe O'Connor on November 13th, 1983. That's me. Um, they divorced before I turned one. I don't know much of that time, mostly because it's never talked about, but I know it was tumultuous, which means it was scary and hard. My mom, oh yes, there she is. My mom is Joe. She worked really hard to rise above her circumstances to make sure we weren't defined by that typical young mom statistic which is just my mom and me for a few years. And I don't remember much of that time either, but I do know that she sacrificed and worked hard to provide for us and that that has paid off in dividends for both of us today. I am so, so proud of her. And I'm so proud to be her daughter. Some of my earliest memories are of when she and who I call my dad got married. I was not quite five when my mom married Todd Prusha. He has always loved me as his own, and still to this day, most people don't know that he isn't my biological dad. We've had a lot of fun. I had an idyllic childhood, which means it was pretty dreamy, filled with lots of cousins and in the rural Iowa country. I went to a small st school where everybody knew everybody. This was heightened because both my parents were teachers and worked in the school. I often joked that I couldn't um, fart without them finding out. I know that uh, some of you here have parents who are teachers or administrators or coaches. Can any of you relate to that? Yeah, yeah. I have two younger sisters. Rachel was born when I was seven and Abby when I was 10. Some of you know Abby here. Where are you, Abby? There she is, yeah, who's married to Chase. That's my baby sister. I love being a big sister. And they are two of my very favorite people and my very, very best friends. 
It's incredible to me that they have been through so many seasons with me and still love me. Faith was part of my upbringing, but for me, it was just a formality, just something our family did each week that I was expected to do too. Catholic church every Sunday, many times lunch at my grandma's after that, Wednesday night catechism, which is kind of like Catholic big house, but not nearly as much fun as this. That was expected, but it was mostly just kids wreaking a little havoc in the church basement. High school unveiled my talent and love for running, and I found lots of success with cross-country and track. You can see me levitating there on the right. I could run and levitate at the same time. Um, I had high academic achievement, and I expected college to be much the same. My parents had high expectations for me, and I had high expectations for myself. They loved me and wanted what was best for me, but I felt like they were controlling and strict. I was a good kid, and I did not appreciate my parents' lack of appreciation for that. They had lots of, that was supposed to be funny, no? Okay. Haha, ha, thank you. Thank you, Martin or Nathan or whichever one. They had lots of restrictions that I didn't think were fair for a good kid like me to have to abide by. So I lied about dumb things and snuck around with a boy they did not like. That was not supposed to be funny. <laughs> I knew they loved me, but I didn't feel known or seen. I rebelled at home, but at school and in the community, I stayed inside the lines. I wanted to live up to the reputation I had built for myself of being hardworking and high achieving. Much of my extended family had that reputation as well, and I liked being part of that storyline. My identity was wrapped up in what I did and how much I could accomplish. Fast times, winning races, and state championships were who I was and what I thought gave me worth. And while I worked hard to maintain my good reputation and appearing like I had it all together, I also worked really hard to keep the life that included my biological dad separate. That life included another family no one knew about, a stepmom and three kids who were just as much siblings to me as my sisters, but I hardly knew them. Having step anything combined with a dad who was unpredictable, who struggled with mental illness, drugs, and alcohol, and needed to blow into a breathalyzer to start his car, didn't align with the world I wanted to exist in. The world where I felt in control didn't include a dad who was by all definitions out of control. My biological dad very much wanted a relationship with me and loved spending time with me. He just lacked the consistency, tools, and mental health to be able to follow through. As little kids, we think our parents know everything and have everything figured out. I learned early on that wasn't the case for my biological dad, and it rocked my world to navigate his lack of stability. I was angry at him for a really long time. It's been a journey to get to a place where I forgive him for not being who I needed him to be. I know some of you have parents who struggle to function. It's a hard journey to be on. It's not easy to watch or be drug along for the ride. I don't have answers. Like I said, I still don't have it all figured out and can't make it better. But I hope knowing I've experienced this too makes you feel less alone. My senior year, I told my mom over and over and over how much I was going to miss her and my family. She would tell me how much I was going to love it, how ready I was, how excited she was to be down one kid with only two to go. She took a cardboard cutout of Princess Leia and taped her face to it for me to take to my dorm room. That was really cool to walk in with. Um, 
what I heard was that she was ready to be done with me, and if I missed her, to just look at Princess Leia. What I wanted her to say was that she was going to miss me, and I could call her about anything, anytime. What she was trying to say was that she believed in me and knew this was going to be an exciting new time. I know now that my mom is always still figuring all of this out. I'm her first kid, and she's never had a me at whatever age I am. So it's like she's a new mom each day trying to figure out how to do life as a mom to a 36-year-old. She wasn't put on this earth to be exactly who I need her and want her to be either. So while sometimes I wish we could better speak each other's languages, I know she's doing her very best and loves me so much. Be kind to your parents. They are trying hard to do something they have never done before. My mom thought I was giving this talk last week and sent me a text that said, I'm very proud of you and love you beyond measures. I am so lucky she is my mom. College was a time of lots of turmoil for me. I went to Wartburg and I ran there, and I am old, but even when I went to college, the term WTF meant what it means today. Do we know what WTF is, right? So I was surprised when my track coach gave this to us and expected us to wear this in front of people and like was serious. Uh, I'm gonna take this off now. Maybe I'll auction it off later. I went to Warburg and I went from being one of the best students and runners in high school to being just one of many talented runners in college. I was completely overwhelmed by the self-structured rigors of college and missed my built-in encouraging community and accountability. I tasted a freedom I hadn't ever known and went completely off the rails experiencing it. I was dysregulated in every area and had no idea how or why I felt so lost in my own skin. I drank a lot. At the time, it seemed really fun, and I think I was pretty fun to be around. But looking back, I can see it was just my way of numbing myself from my deteriorating mental health. I stopped going to practice. I stopped going to class. I scared and angered my parents with my decisions and had a fairly aloof existence. I knew my poor decisions were compounding into a destruction that would be harder and harder to rebound from. But I didn't know how to right the ship, and I was detached from reality. I moved home for a while and eventually decided to switch schools and go to UNI. I was seeing a therapist, I was diagnosed with situational depression and anxiety, and I was medicated. My circumstances and demeanor only slightly improved to like a treading water status versus drowning. I was surviving, but certainly not the thriving like I had experienced in high school. I still did poorly in school and had little direction or drive. The only area I found success in was with my social life. I make friends easily and enjoy connecting with people. Work was a necessary means to be able to fund my social life, and it was at work where a friend invited me to church here at Orchard. I don't remember who was teaching or what was said, but I remember feeling overwhelmed with emotion and being certain that I needed whatever Orchard had to offer, which was Jesus. Right? Nothing changed overnight. I was still pretty ambivalent about which is the state of having mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about something. I wanted to be doing well in school. I wanted to have the self-confidence and success I had experienced in high school. I wanted healthy relationships with friends and guys that I would date. 
but I still drank to distract myself from falling short of all those desires. I still struggled in school, and my relationship with my parents was at an all-time low. I found out I was pregnant and told no one until I started bleeding a couple weeks later and eventually miscarried. Despite all of those actions, I steadfastly came to Orchard each week. I started forming relationships with people who had lives and relationships with Jesus that I wanted to emulate. One of them was Nikki Pauli. We spent a lot of time together. And through her, God revealed to me that I didn't have to earn or do or achieve anything to be loved by him. My GPA may have been too far gone, but I was not. God gently showed me that I was worthy of his grace. Or my past didn't ruin my future, and each day was a new opportunity to live more fully into who God had created me to be, his beloved. My identity was not in what I had or had not achieved, but it was in living fully as a daughter of the Most High King. Nikki and I also had a lot of fun together, like she said, and thank you, Jesus, that Facebook had just barely become a thing, and there is no documentation of some of our shenanigans that may or may not have included one of us being pulled off of a pool table and then the other one being hospitalized. I will let you guess who is who, and I will not tell you. There were many more people who began to weave into my life as I spent more time at Orchard. One of them happened to be my future husband. Jonathan and I started dating in May of 2007. I want you to note the date there. I was coming off of a bad breakup that had left me with a broken spirit and a puggle named Bumper. And I know I didn't put slide there, but go ahead and show the next slide. When Nikki, I know, right? When Nikki talked about relationships a few weeks ago, I know she didn't give you a list of rules to follow, but if she had, getting a dog with your boyfriend would not have been on that list. <sighs> this is Bumper back, oh, so that was Bumper back in the day. Um, he soaked up more tears than any tissues could. This is Bumper now. He's deaf, and he pees himself, and he smells really bad but I still love to snuggle him, and he still soaks up my tears. I had sworn off boys and planned to move out west, but Jonathan was persistent and handsome. See? Yeah, man. Uh, my dog used to run away a lot, and Jonathan was the only human I had ever saw able to, like, physically apprehend him, and I was really attracted to that because I didn't want to lose my dog. Uh, but I was also attracted to his gentle spirit and his love of Jesus. He worked for the church and had just bought his own home. What else could a girl ask for? So we started dating in May. He asked me to marry him in August, and we were married by December. It was fast. Uh, my parents were not impressed, and his were all about it. And when I wrote this, I wrote that sentence, and then I thought, sometimes parents don't agree with what you're doing, but they, like, get behind it and fake it until they make it. It made me wonder, Walt and Jenny are my in-laws. Some of you know them, too. I wonder if they were as all about it as I thought at the time. Yes. <laughs> Somehow, God brought us all together, and on a beach in Florida, you can, I didn't put, there we are. Uh, on a beach in Florida, I promised to forever love Jonathan in sickness and in health and in good times and bad. I love to watch the video and look at pictures of that day, and each time I do, it never fails that I shake my head and think to myself, that girl 
had no idea what she was saying or getting herself into. Neither did that guy. Uh, Big change has never been my strength. I loved being married, but I was taken aback by how hard it was to combine your life with someone who isn't yourself. We floundered a lot that first year and sometimes still do. We promised each other early on to never say the D word, divorce. But it's crazy how two stubborn, strong-willed, firstborn, always right people can find creative ways to say the word without saying it. Working for and being involved with the church doesn't immunize you from struggling with how to reconcile differences in politics, religion, how to raise discipline and be intentional with kids. We keep working hard to remember that love is an action and a choice. We work really hard to remind ourselves and each other that we are on the same team and we are for each other. We have to be reminded and relearn all the time that our identity is not in each other, but in the one who gave us each other, Jesus. Most of the time we are great at this, but sprinkled in there are times when we fail really hard. Marriage wasn't the only big change coming. We became pregnant just six short months after getting married. We celebrated our one-year anniversary, and three months later, in March 2009, had a baby girl. Avery was the best thing that could have happened to me. I know we are all selfish, but I tend to be especially so. I came to see that Avery, and eventually all of motherhood, had saved me from myself. Oh, that's everybody. (laughs) Uh, Go back one. Go back. Oh no, we're missing one. Thanks, Elliot. (laughs) The joy I felt when Avery was placed in my arms and the love that overflowed from my heart as I watched Jonathan hold her is one of the most incredible moments I have ever experienced. It was the same each time we had another baby. That moment right after birth, watching Jonathan hold our baby, looking into their eyes is a moment I would go back and live again and again. Is there one after all of us? Go to the all of us. Go one more. Nope, Elliot ruined it. <laughs> I had a really great picture of Jonathan looking at our baby, so just close your eyes and imagine that for a minute. Oh, that's so cute. Uh, I was an only child for a while, and I loved watching my sisters grow up so close in age, and I wanted that for Avery. We started trying for another baby shortly after Avery turned one. We experienced a miscarriage, and it felt like forever before we finally welcomed Isley in September 2011. She has the coolest birthday. It's 9, 10, 11. Isn't that cool? Two and a half years after Avery was born. When Isley was eight months old, I found out I was pregnant again. I was shocked, but soon experienced another miscarriage. I resigned to believing that pregnancy would just be a struggle for us. Avery was unexpected and happened quickly, but maybe that was a fluke. I remember praying that God would strengthen my heart to endure whatever he had in mind for our growing family. Go back one for me. Thanks. Oh, no, back, back, back. Yeah, right there. This prayer makes me laugh a lot now because the following month I was pregnant again with our third little girl, Charlie. She was born in April 2013, just 19 months after Isley. 17 months after Charlie came Jack in September of 2014. Jack never slept ever, and we swore we were done. But despite a vasectomy, we got our bonus baby, Benji, 18 months later in March of 2016. Raise your hand if you know what a vasectomy is. 
Okay, for those of you who don't know, I brought a little home video here and some pictures to show, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But if you want to ask Jonathan about it, I'm sure he would. No, just, uh, just kidding, sorry. That was rude. Uh, I was pregnant or nursing for about nine years straight. I look at that time between Avery and Isley wanting another baby so badly and unsure if I would ever experience another full-term pregnancy and can't believe how I was given, as you can see, abundantly more than I could ever ask for or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 through 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ, through, and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. So you can see I was given abundantly more than I was asking for <laughs> or imagined. Parenthood has been the most refining experience of my life thus far. Do you guys know the process of refining something where they heat something up really high and cleanse out all the impurities? Like it's a major process and it's painful. That is parenthood. I'm a list maker who likes to check off tasks, look back at my work and feel accomplished, and then get acknowledged for how hard I worked and how good my work looks. Being a mom doesn't look like that. This is what it looks like. Oh, go back. It doesn't look like that. It looks like this, except for in all of these pictures, my hair is down and I'm showered, and it doesn't look like that either but I don't usually take pictures of myself when I look really bad. Um, as you can see, it's a little crazy. Can everybody see Isley up there with a knife? Isley is just a kid who, like, you just believe she can do things. So she was like, can I cut my cake? And I was like, yeah. And the second I gave her that enormous knife, can you see my dad in the background? It all turned out okay. They're all still here. Her cake got cut fine, but that is parenting. Uh, it looks like nothing on the list getting done and nothing is ever finished, and the things that do get done get undone by the kids shortly thereafter. It, it can be really painful, uh, but it also looks like the next slide. Knowing every sound and facial expression, seeing every first step, first everything, that first two-wheeled bike ride, that first lost tooth, when they fall in love with their first chapter book, and more. It looks like getting to wipe away every tear, and with that comes like every booger and butt that you get to wipe as well. Uh, it was really, it's awesome. It's like really painful and the most amazing thing you've ever experienced, like all put into one. It was so confusing to feel suspended in time for so long, just trying to keep little people alive, and then as if all of a sudden, nine years later, being done with babies. It was kind of like I woke up from a dream, like a fog had just lifted. Everyone I knew around me looked older. My grandparents felt really old. My friends, sorry, Nikki, looked old. Not Nikki, everybody but Nikki. And I looked in the mirror and only vaguely recognized myself because I, too, looked old and my insides felt really old. It's been a challenge to adjust to life after babies. We were good at our simple, hunkered-down life, and we weren't sure what it looked like to live any differently. 
My body was tired and weak and literally broken in parts from being pregnant so much. I tried running again, which I love still, but it felt like my insides would fall out. That's not good. I found other avenues to moving my body, and as my body gained strength, so did my heart and mind. I was again relearning that my identity was in Jesus. My identity was not in being a mom, carrying, birthing, nursing, and raising babies. Those were just some of the many perks I've been afforded on this journey as a daughter of the king. I went to school last spring, and when I finished in May, I was really proud of how well I had done and thankful for a newfound confidence in myself that I had lost when I went to college the first time. I thought maybe I would go back to school again someday, but not for a while. It was too hard on our family, and now was not the time. But as the summer progressed, other doors kept closing that I thought would open, and the door to grad school kept opening. I'd shut it hard, and it just kept opening. My nose kept turning into yeses, and with fear and trepidation, I started my first day of grad school last fall and hope to graduate with my master's in social work next May. I have no idea what the future holds or what I want to be when I grow up, but looking back, I never really have, and life has turned out better than I could have hoped for or expected. Remember that verse from Ephesians I read you a little bit ago? I'm now clinging to it as I believe that I will be given immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. I know some of you seniors are feeling this too, that some of you will make a college choice just so you have an answer when people ask you what you're gonna do next year. It is okay to be unsure. It's okay to be unsure when you're 18 and when you are double 18, like me, 36. Not everything is tied up in a pretty bow. Navigating life with family and school is hard. I thought the grief I felt over the time I spend away from my people when I'm at school would pass, but it doesn't, and missing them and what happens when I'm gone hurts. My parents and I still have aches and pains from those college years, and with them now living in Cedar Falls, we are na navigating a more consistent, what a more consistent relationship with love and trust looks like. I still don't speak to my biological dad and have lots of uncertainty about how to broach or navigate that relationship. He's mentally ill, and it is okay to have firm boundaries. But what does that look like if either of us would open the door to having a relationship? I have three siblings, his kids, that I love, but I'm unsure of how to have a relationship with them. The hurt and brokenness from my past still bubbles up to the surface, and it can be easy to fall back into old patterns of wanting to run away from the harsh realities of the world and distract myself from the daily grind or to get caught up in my lists and achievements, um, or lack thereof. But my response to these old patterns has gotten healthier, and I've gotten quicker at redirecting to a better path. I've come to learn that if I focus too much on the destination, I miss out on the brutal and beautiful journey along the way. These days, I connect best with God when I'm outside in his creation, exploring with my people. Did Elliot give us another one? Maybe not. There they are. See us exploring? It reminds me that my to-do list doesn't define me or give me worth, a lesson that I have to had to learn in every season. It centers me in the present moment, reminding me that my identity is in him. God used motherhood as a way to build up my resist resilience and strength to navigate whatever is ahead, and marriage to remind me that I'm not in this alone. God shows me through Jonathan so often that he is with me and for me, and having a partner like that is such a gift. 
God has also given me the most incredible family and friends to enjoy the ride with, and for that I am so grateful. If you heard nothing else from this talk, I want you to hear this. This is my mom moment. I know some of you come here to get rid of your mom, and then they put me, a mom, up here in front of you. But listen to just this part. Nothing you can say or do makes you too far gone or disqualified from God's love. Nothing you can say or do disqualifies you from his love. God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you still. Let's pray. God, I am just so glad that is over. (laughs) Uh, But I'm just so thankful that I get to be here each week with these students. Like I said, they amaze me, they are incredible, and they are brave. Every day they walk through those doors, or every week they walk through these doors um, with hard stuff, um, hard family stuff, hard stuff at school, and yet they come here and they put their hands in the air and they worship you. They pat their hands on the back, they pat their friends on the back, and they give them hugs and they smile at them, God. These are brave, courageous, strong, amazing high schoolers. God, I just ask that um, you would help them to know that, to help them to really feel that you see them, that you know them, and that you see them. God, thank you so much for this space and this time together. Thank you for loving us.